I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing conflicting reports with regards uh, to William Saliba and his future, as well as deciding who we believe should be given the Arsenal Player of the Month Award for April. So lots and lots to get into, as always. Big hello uh, to everybody uh, in the live chat box. Hope you're well. I'm getting a bit of heat for being uh, a few minutes late. Uh, some bloke says, uh, and that's his screen name. I'm not just calling him some bloke. Uh, it says, come on, Harry, unless you're doing a last minute medical for our new striker signing, you're out of excuses. Um, hope you're good, mate. Uh, do love a bit of sense of humor. Look, as I've said to you guys many times on this show, if you do watch us live on YouTube, then what happens is we always set the stream for five minutes before we're actually going to go live because I've had untold complaints about people not getting the notifications coming through as soon as we're live and then missing the first few minutes. So that's why we do it. Um, apologies that I'm a few more minutes late. Sometimes that happens too. Sometimes I'm on work calls. Sometimes I've got things I've got to finish by a deadline. And sometimes I get a little bit caught up. But um, I do try to be as prompt as possible. Obviously, not doing a great job of it. But wanted to start off uh, today's show or this evening show if you're watching us live this morning show if you're listening to us via the audio platforms on uh, a couple of contradicting reports with regards to the future of William Saliba. Now, we talked about this in our last episode and how what might happen at right back, the knock-on effect of that on Takahiro Tomiyasu, um, how it impacts the Japanese defender, but then how that might impact William Saliba, the next guy, uh, sort of in the uh, sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, circle. Or, 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 you know, in the process, in the, I don't know, I don't know what you want to call it, but basically, we were talking about Arsenal being linked uh, with Molina of Udinese, a right back. And what I was trying to get across was that Molina coming in as a right back makes me think that perhaps, and again, this is just my opinion, that Mikel Arteta sees Takahiro Tomiyasu as a right back moving forward. Uh, I beg your pardon, as a centre back moving forward. And, and he might be looking at him as a, a centre-back option. And that may impact on the decision whether or not to keep William Saliba or to let him go. Because there's been a lot of speculation about his future. It's certainly not a done deal that he'll be returning. So um, that was the point I was trying to make earlier on. I, I know I'm not in full flow this evening. But the point I was trying to make was that signing a right-back could mean a change in the role of Tommy Asu, which could mean a problem for William Saliba and his prospects of playing upon his rumoured return. Now, the reason I call it a rumoured return is because earlier today, there was an exclusive article that went up on teamtalk.com, which said that William Saliba wants to return to Arsenal this summer and plans to fight for his first team place. Sources close to the player have indicated. Now, that was earlier this afternoon, earlier on Wednesday afternoon. And then Freddie Paxton, a journalist who covers the Arsenal, tweeted this, some quotes supposedly from William Saliba's agent, Jibril Nyang, in which he said, we still don't know what Arsenal want to do with William. We will have a discussion about this very soon, I think. Arsenal will decide on his future in the next couple of weeks. Many factors at play and nothing decided. Now, they're not directly in contradiction of, of one another, because if you look at them carefully, uh, the Team Talk exclusive piece says that William Saliba wants to return to Arsenal. And Freddie Paxton, um, quoting William Saliba's agent, says that we still don't know what's going on. So that would indicate that maybe William Saliba does want to return, but that Arsenal haven't made their decision yet. So it's by no means a done deal that William Saliba is going to be back at the Arsenal. And we've discussed this over and over and over again. So I don't really want to kind of jump down this rabbit hole again of the whole Saliba thing, um, why we should keep him, why we shouldn't keep him. I've made my opinion clear. Um, I think that he's a player with a lot of potential. But if he's not willing to accept the role that Arsenal are going to offer him, then it's probably worthwhile cashing in on him now that his stock's high. It's a bit like the Joe Willock situation for me in that I wouldn't have minded keeping the player. I'd have actually quite liked to keep the player. But 
there comes a point with these players, players that are not part of your first team because you don't deem them ready or good enough. Um, there comes a point with these players where somebody comes along and makes an offer that is just too good to refuse. And you think long and hard about it and you come to the realisation that if, for example, somebody offered 35, 40 million pounds for William Saliba, you might never get that offer again. Because if he does come back, doesn't play, is limited in his game time, plays a bit part role and his contract runs on for another year, another season, then you end up with a less valuable asset. So sometimes you have to think about or you have to recognise when a player in terms of their valuation is at their absolute peak and when you should be looking to cash in. Now, again, I'm not saying that I want Arsenal to sell William Saliba. I do think he's got a part to play. I do think he can offer us something. But I don't take much encouragement from the stance that Mikel Arteta has had on him since he first arrived at the club. And I don't really believe that all that much has changed. Not so much that he's going to come in and walk into the first team. I believe that Arsenal may have been looking at him and looking at his progress at Marseille and have come to the conclusion that he can come in and be a squad player and fight for his place like everybody else. But he's got to be willing to do that as well. He's got to want to do that. And I'm not sure that William Saliba, having gone back to France and having proven himself with Marseille, having earned himself plenty of admirers, is going to go, no worries, Mikel, I'll come there, I'll sit on the bench and I'll wait patiently for my opportunity. I think it's very, very clear that Mikel Arteta sees Gabriel and Ben White as a long-term central defensive partnership. And tying it back into what I was saying earlier, if Takahiro Tomiyasu is, and again, we don't know, but is in Mikel Arteta's eyes seen as a centre-back option, then perhaps that knocks Saliba even further down the pecking order, in which case you might need um, to cash in now while, uh, while the iron's hot. I don't know. That's just my view. I just think that it's not a done deal. And... I called them contradictory reports at the beginning because I think one indicates that um, he's on his way back and the other indicates that actually it's all up in the air. Although if you do read them carefully, you'll see that um, Freddie Paxton's uh, quotes of the agent say that they don't know what Arsenal want and the team talk piece talks about what Saliba wants. But what Saliba wants isn't necessarily what's going to happen and vice versa. So um, really interesting situation. And we're going to have to keep a close eye on this one, of course, as the summer approaches and throughout the summer as well. So that's um, my bit on William Saliba. Um, and again, look, we've talked about it at length so many times that like for the benefit of our regular listeners and viewers, I don't want to keep banging on and on about the same thing. But I do think that if the offer's right, that Arsenal will consider it. And I don't think that William Saliba is as willing to come back and fight um, as as some of the sort of noises are that are suggesting that are coming out from his agent. What's his agent going to say? No, he's not willing to fight. No, he's not this. No, he's not that. Um, no, he's not happy to come and accept the role that he believes is beneath him. No, he's not happy with Mikel Arteta. No, their relationship is not good. He's not going to say any of those things. You know, if he is going to get his client out of Arsenal Football Club, he's going to want to do it in a way that makes it seem as though Arsenal are desperate for him. And so, they can get there can be a bigger fee and then you've got to sweeten the agent to kind of make it happen you've got to grease his palms a little bit that's what william saliba's agent's game is that's what the game is of all agents okay they are of course there to protect their clients they are there of course to work for their clients and look after them but at the end of the day they look after themselves too and making certain noises would be counterproductive at this moment in time so i don't believe um that the, the noises coming from the agent are anything to be surprised by and actually anything really to read too much into. I just wanted to bring those two reports to your attention because they suggest at least uh, very different things to me. Let's take a few of your comments uh, on this matter and then um, we'll dive on to something else. Um, first of all, big hello to CHSS fans. who joins us from Austin in Texas. GB says, I'll be furious, furious furious, I beg your pardon, if Saliba isn't at least given a pre-season and assessed also Eddie Nketiah for player of the month. Interesting. Um, I'm not going to go into the Molina talk because we did it on the last episode, which you can catch on the feed if you haven't done so already. Um, I made the comparison to Joe Willock in the sense of I didn't feel like we were ever going to get an offer as big as the one we got for, for Joe Willock from Newcastle had we let this saga continue, had we let that saga run. Um, because, you know, he was 
He'd just come back from a loan spell in which he'd played brilliantly, scored a lot of goals, contributed, and wasn't going to get in the Arsenal team. He was going to come back. He was going to sit on the bench. Again, like Saliba, his contract will be ticking away in the background. He wouldn't have been playing all that much. And then his value dips. Um, but Tom says the comparison doesn't really work because Joe Willock won't soon be the main man in a top uh, one or two international side for many years to come. That's the huge difference. It's on Arsenal to convince him. I don't think that you can say just because William Saliba's got a couple of caps for France now under his belt. Is it even a couple? It might just be one. I'll check it out. But you can't say that because William Saliba has played once or twice for the French side in friendly matches, um, and it's two caps, that he is going to be a mainstay in the heart of their defence for many, many years to come. There are lots and lots of players in international football who make their debut, step into the picture, but can't always uh, sort of last the distance. And I'm not saying that he is going to fail. I'm not saying that he isn't at that level, but there's no guarantee that a couple of better French centre-backs aren't going to come along. They're already better French centre-backs. He's only being given an opportunity because he's young and up and coming and in friendly matches where there isn't anything riding on them. You won't see William Saliba, for example, I don't think, unless he continues to be immaculate between now and, and the Qatar World Cup starting in the tournament. Like That's not going to happen. So, you know, getting into the squad is great and it's a big step for William Saliba and it's something he should be praised for, but it doesn't guarantee that because he's made a couple of appearances for France, that he's going to go on to be a top quality centre-half for many, many seasons to come. Um, CHHS says, that how many high-quality centre-backs do we need if we make the Champions League? If we need four, it's a no-brainer to keep Saliba. Yeah, so I think that Mikel Arteta um, will probably try and keep hold of Rob Holding if he can, as a squad player, as an option. I think it will be on Rob Holding whether he feels that he needs to move on because of the lack of game time. But I think he's actually someone who's quite content with where he is at the moment, rightly or wrongly. So I expect Rob Holding to stay. I think that William Saliba coming in makes the fourth place up, doesn't it? But that comes back to what I was saying. Does Mikel Arteta see Telmiasu as a centre-back option rather than a right-back going forward? And is that why... There are rumours doing the rounds that he is looking at a number of fullbacks to come in. People say that whoever he's bringing in could be a replacement for Cedric. Yeah, maybe. And yes, we all agree that we need to upgrade on Cedric in the long term. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see what type of right back Arsenal go for in the sense of, are they going to go big on a right back? Are they going to spend a substantial amount of money on one? Or are they just going to be plugging a hole? In which case... Um, then you can you can sort of say that Tommy Asu is the first choice right back. I, I don't think that Tommy Asu is someone that you know, and and I don't want this to come across like I'm crit critical of him or that I don't rate him. I think he's fantastic. I think of all the signings we made last summer, he's been right up there in terms of what he's brought to the side. But the question I have is, is this player who through the majority of his career has been a centre back, has played on the left of a back three, has played on the right of a back three? going to continue playing as a traditional, more orthodox right fullback? That's the question mark I have. It's not about his quality. It's not about whether he has a future at Arsenal. It's not about whether he belongs in the side or not. I think we can all agree that he's excellent. But it's where exactly or what exactly does that future look like for Takahiro Tomiyasu? And I think based on what we go and do this transfer window, you'll get an understanding, the transfer window coming up, that is, in the summer, once the season's out, you'll have a better understanding of how Mikel Arteta sees him. Henry Guna says, I can honestly say I've only seen Saliba three times and that was on TV. He had one good game. I'll put my trust in Arteta. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, I think that when it comes to Saliba, there are a lot of people that should just do what you've just done, Henry, which is be open and honest about the fact that they don't really know an awful lot about him, as opposed to pretending to be experts on a player that they haven't seen an awful lot of. It's why I have struggled to understand the clamour around this player. Again, I'm not even saying that he's not good. I'm not even saying that he's not someone who can go on and, and, and be a very, very useful player for us. But I don't understand where this like cult following uh, has come from around William Saliba, when you consider that most of the people driving it and most of the people who go on about it online and, and constantly bring it up 
don't watch Marseille play week in, week out. I think we're in a much better position to judge the players that we see than we are the players that we don't see. Easy to look at stats, easy to look at facts. But in a lot of people's cases, I think the eye test is missing when it comes to William Saliba. How good actually is he? And there are people out there that have made it their business and made it, you know, a priority to sit on a Sunday night on BT Sport and watch Ligue 1 and understand a little bit more about the player. And fair play to them. Those people are in a good, strong and educated position from which they can talk about this. But there are a lot of us that don't see him a lot, have never seen him in a competitive fixture for our club. So why the hysteria around him? That's what I've struggled to get my head around. Now, that doesn't mean that I want him to go. It's just this noise around him is louder than the noise that we hear around some of the players that we do know a lot about and that we do have an understanding of what they can bring to the table. But in this instance, it just seems a little bit strange for me. Um, some bloke says, Harry, I have great respect for you, but to me, this Tommy Asu to centre-back theory is virtually clickbait. It's much more likely Cedric is the one to make way, to be fair. Well, I, I, it's not clickbait because it's what I genuinely think could be the case. And I don't think it's that out there in terms of football theories and, and as football theories go. I think when you look at the player's history, Takahiro Tomiyasu, that is, prior to coming to Arsenal, he didn't play as a right fullback. Virtually never played as a right fullback. It was back three, um, on either side of the back three, rarely the central player, but either on the right or the left, a lot of the time on the left for Bologna. And it was, um, you know, and, and it was a centre-back, it, it, like a, a traditional centre-back in a back four. It was never really right full-back. That is something that we've, we've turned him into. And is Mikel Arteta doing that because he thinks that's the best way to get by now? Or did he put him there because he thinks that for years to come, he's the one that should play there? Now, there's a strong argument that he does genuinely think he's a right fullback or can play that role effectively because you've seen that we've taken into consideration Tommy Asu's attributes in the way that we build up the team and shape the team when we're out of possession, i.e. he tucks him in and and he allows the left back to bomb on a little bit more. I don't, I don't want to repeat too much of what we discussed on the last episode, but I don't think it's an out there theory to have, that Mikel Arteta may be less likely to bring Saliba back because of the trust he has in Tomiyasu to tuck in field and be a centre-back when he needs him to be. That's that's all I'm saying. I don't think it's that out there and it's that outrageous, but um, do let me know in the chat what you guys think. Um, Tebow says uh, on Saliba that he's a big unit, is fast, and his passing is pretty good. Granted, though, that's at league and level where he has more time on the ball. Um, Nikomo says, for a player who's hardly kicked the ball for Arsenal, he sure does get spoken of a lot. I'm very sick and tired of the drama. There is an element of that as well, isn't there? That you just want this to be done one way or the other. And which way it goes, I don't know that I'm that fussed at this moment in time. I'd love him to come back and be a success. Can I guarantee that would be the case? No. Um you know, and, and if the money was right, can I guarantee I would turn it down? No. So I'm kind of indifferent on this. Uh, Diego Navarro says, big up, Harry. If we let Saliba go, does Holding get a bigger role or are there any other centre-backs on the radar? It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because Mikel Arteta has gone out and brought centre-backs to the club before, i.e. Pablo Marie, and then decided quite quickly that they're not really for us and they're not really our cup of tea. Um the reason the Saliba thing differs is that this was not his signing. So if he was to discard William Saliba, sell him whatever you want to call it, then I don't think that's a, a, as surprising as some people would make out. There will be outrage. Of course, there'll be people that are disappointed. There'll be people that think he should stay at the club. And how could we possibly spend £27 million on this defender only to never let him play a, a competitive game for Arsenal before moving him on? I guess for me, um, I guess for me that from Mikel Arteta's point of view, it must be quite easy to overlook him because you didn't bring him to the club. Like you as a manager are not responsible for the mistakes of the past. And I, you know, I've said this before. I do believe that paying £27 million for a centre-back who 
hasn't played a game for us yet, hasn't kicked the ball for us at competitive level yet, um, three years or so down the line, is a mistake. Now, it could prove not to be a mistake if he comes back and becomes a world beater and plays fantastically well. And it might look one day like it was very, very good value. But at this moment in time today, on the 27th of April, 2022, you have to say it's looking like a bit of a mistake that we paid what we paid for him. Afsar says, smash the likes. Yes, please do uh, hit the like button. If you guys haven't done so already, it really, really does help. Uh, and of course, subscribe to the channel if you're new as we continue on the path towards 20,000 subscribers. Um, let's just take a short, brief pause. Um, and then we are uh, going to continue through the live chat box to get your thoughts before discussing who we believe should be Arsenal's player of the month for April. Okay, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Let's continue taking some of your thoughts on William Saliba's future. Clock N Seb says, it's got to be a lot more simple than everybody's making out. He either wants to set, stay and be on board with the process or he doesn't, in which case, cash in. Yeah, and I think a lot of the issues that Mikel Arteta has with William Saliba are probably more in terms of his attitude and application rather than his actual ability. I think that that is um, that that is really really important. Um, so yeah, I I think that you're right. I think you've simplified it there. But I'm just trying to kind of come up with reasoning as to why it doesn't feel like Arsenal are 100% convinced or certain that he's got a future at the club. And the Tommy Asu thing come to mind because, as I say, I know that he's played centre back a lot previously in his career, and I know that it's where perhaps even he feels more comfortable so yeah i i feel like that that could play a part what else have we got um tebow pesk uh, says guenduzi's looking like pirlo in Liga. a top seven or eight premier league side would finish second in france comfortably uh thupton says harry since there's a possibility that silly that arsenal may not have any french-speaking players in the upcoming season do you think it will be best for both parties to part ways now i don't know that the fact that there isn't French-speaking players at the club is is going to be a big problem. Um, I don't envisage that being an issue. Like, you don't sign people based on that. It's great when you arrive at a football club and you have someone who speaks your language who can help you settle in and bed in. I'm sure that is very, very handy and very, very useful. But I don't think it's a deal-breaker. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that too much. Um, Ahmed also says Saliba will probably push to stay in France as he is in serious contention for the French World Cup squad. Again, that's a really, really good point and a very valid point because, as I keep saying, if he comes back and doesn't start week in, week out, that damages his value, but it also damages his prospects of going to the World Cup in Qatar with France. I said that he's broken into the picture and that he's had a couple of caps for France. He's no way near uh, being a starter at the moment and he's got to continue to prove himself in between now and the World Cup um, if he wants to be on that plane and if he wants to be involved in that competition. So he might well, you're absolutely spot on, feel like staying at a club like Marseille, where he's the real deal, where he's the big man, where he's sort of marshalling the defence, would be far more beneficial to him. Uh, what else have we got? Um, <laughs> Clock in Seb says, Tommy Asu doesn't actually have a position, according to Sky Sports. That's a good point. And nobody wanted him either. Um, it's mad. It's honestly mad. Um, Christian Hoover says, I'm excited because he's an unknown player to me, but everyone does hype him up. Um, what else have we got? FTL Guna Craig says, uh, sticking on the topic of centre-backs, do you see Austin Trusty playing any role with the team next season? I don't. Um, I don't think he's even going to um, to be with us. I think he's going to be on loan again, I'd imagine. Uh, so, yeah, I don't expect him to have uh, too much of a part to play. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, GB says, I've watched every Marseille game in Liga in this season, by the way. Saliba's been brilliant. He's looked more suspect, though, in the Europa League games. I think he's ready to challenge for a starting role. Interesting. But that's the key, though, isn't it? You hit the nail on, on your head. You hit the nail on its head yourself. He's ready to challenge. Is Saliba going to um, be okay with that? 
that's the question. That's going to tell us a lot about his attitude, his desire, etc. And if he is happy to to come and fight for that place, then I will welcome him with open arms because I do want to see him succeed in an Arsenal shirt. But if he's going to throw his toys out the pram, if it's not something he's willing to to do, if it's not something he's willing to graft for, then he doesn't deserve to play for this football club. Um, Jid says, uh, moving on to that right-back topic, what does an upgrade on Cedric look like, Harry? Liverpool, for example, have Simicas as backup left-back. He's good, but nowhere near Robertson. So why are we obsessing with selling Cedric? Now, I agree with you. I, I think that we talk a lot about needing to add strength and depth, and we do need to do that in a lot of areas. But it's very, very difficult to persuade someone that they're going to sort of, or to persuade someone to accept the role which basically from the outset makes it clear to them that they're not the first choice. Now, people will say, well, if you play well, if you work hard, you can win that place and you can hold that place. But managers often have an idea of who they want in the team and who they see as second in the pecking order. And only when the difference in form is so big do they normally make those big calls and big decisions to swap them around. So, um, yeah, it's difficult to persuade players, I think, to come um, and be second fiddle in whatever position. Uh, Michael Grayson says, those are the same people who thought that getting rid of Ozil was bad man management. Yeah, good point. Uh, Sam also says, has Saliba not proved himself out on loan now? Surely he deserves a chance. Yeah, I, I think he deserves a chance. I do, Sam. I do. But I don't watch him enough to say, yes, he's definitely good enough. And I don't watch him enough to say, no, he's definitely not good enough. My point, though, is that he's got to be willing to come back and fight. If he wants to play in the biggest league in the world, at one of the biggest clubs in Europe, the third biggest club in England, he needs to come back and be willing and open to the possibility of fighting for his place, as opposed to saying, I want to start every week or I'm gone. But if you as a manager, if you as Mikel Arteta don't believe that he's at the level or there's something fundamentally missing from his game that for you is a must, then you have to be responsible in the way you conduct business. And the responsible thing to do in that instance would be to cash in and earn your money off of him at a time where his value is at its absolute peak. Everybody's talking about William Saliba. Everybody's talking about how well he's done at Marseille. People in France have been very positive about him. And of course, as we've mentioned on numerous occasions so far during the show, he has uh, played for uh, the French national team and worked his way into that setup. But if he comes here and doesn't play, he will be no longer the flavour of the month, in which case his value diminishes and quite quickly. And then you'll be looking back and saying, well, I kind of always knew that he wasn't what I wanted. So why the hell didn't I cash in on him and make better use of that money and bolster my squad in another way? So it's it's on the manager ultimately to decide. You know, it's it's part of it's partly on Saliba to decide whether he wants to fight. And then it's on the manager because as we've seen from the agent's comments, the Arsenal have yet to make it clear what their intention is. So it's on Arsenal as much as it is on William Saliba, but both of them have to be on the same page or this doesn't work. Let's see. Um what else we've got? Um, Michael Grayson says, are you willing to sit out White or Gabriel to play Saliba? No, I'm not. I'm not. And the other thing is as well, like people sit there and they say, oh, you know, William Saliba's looked really good in Ligue 1 and Ben White at times has looked a little bit dodgy. Well, the two leagues are very, very different. And you don't know what Saliba's level will be if he plays in the Premier League. You don't know that he's going to come in and be as dominant, as powerful, as controlling and as sort of consistent in the big league as he is in the French league. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to France, but Ligue 1, you know, with the exception of Paris Saint-Germain, is not on the same level as the Premier League. So would he be exposed? And would he be exposed more than Ben White? And and let's not remember, let's not forget, OK, and, and I say Ben White, but Gabriel's had a few dodgy games as well this season. Let's be open and and completely honest about this. William Saliba, no matter how many people say to me, I've watched him every single week, um, you know, and he's been brilliant, has flaws. He's made mistakes. I've seen them with my own eyes. 
I don't watch the full 90 minutes, but I make a conscious effort to keep across how he's doing. And there have been moments where I've looked at him and gone, that is incredibly naive. Your decision-making was all over the place. You've still got a long way to go before you're going to be an elite top-class centre-half. So let's not pretend that he's gone to France, not put a foot wrong, and is now this amazing centre-back that we can't bear to lose. He has looked good overall, but there have been moments, just like they have for White, just like they have for Gabriel. Uh, I love this. Uh, if Saliba comes back and doesn't cut the mustard, the real question is, how is it Granny Shaka's fault? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, 33 Fiverr says, Harry, we need to work on keeping this guy. His physical attributes and what he is doing now are worth the risk. Well, that is, as I say, for the club um, to weigh up. But again, it doesn't really matter what the club want. If he's not singing from the same hymn sheet, then, then move him on. Um, is very much my view on this. Going to take a couple more comments on this and then we're going to come on to discuss the whole uh, player of the month thing. Um, Ron Wolf says, uh, Hi, Harry. Do you think if Saliba had decided a championship side or a Premier League side for his loan spell, would his progress have been more clearer? I don't think a championship side would have told us an awful lot because I think the football is just very, very different. But I think playing in the Premier League, I think we would have got a better idea of how he would fare in this competition with this intensity at this level. Um, I think that, look, I think there's there's good and bad points to what he did to go into Marseille. So on the one hand, I think that Marseille are a huge football club. I would argue they're the biggest club in France. Okay. And although they're not league and winners and although they're not going to, you know, they're not Champions League contenders um, in the way that Paris Saint-Germain are, there is an immense pressure at Marseille to succeed week in, week out. You're always under the microscope. And that pressure is similar to the pressure that he'll face at Arsenal. So it's good in that sense that the environment is one where everybody's looking at you, where you're playing for a very high profile club and where people are going to scrutinise your every mistake. On the flip side of that, though, he's playing in a league that is very, very different. And had he been playing in the Premier League, he might not have had that pressure to succeed every week like he does at Marseille. But we'd have got a better indication of how he might fare in this environment under these circumstances. So I would have preferred him to join a Premier League club for sure. But I don't think Marseille was a bad move, if that makes sense. I don't think it's, you know, I, I think there are pros and cons to both. And actually, if that's what he needed one more year in France to really kind of come out of his shell that little bit more, then fine. Um, that's OK. Uh, Troy says, this is the last comment I'm going to take on this and we're going to move on to another subject. He says, let's not pretend Arteta didn't overspend on Ben White, who doesn't watch football. Brighton fans were glad they took him and not someone else. Um, I don't think there was a Brighton fan out there that was happy that he'd gone. And I don't think there was a Leeds fan out there who was happy that he joined another club that wasn't them. Um, did he overspend a little bit? Yeah, he did. He paid that English premium. But how can you say that he overspent to Ben White, who plays for Arsenal every single week? But you don't want to say that he overspent or that the club overspent on William Saliba, who cost us nearly £30 million and has yet to play, um, you know, a, a, a competitive fixture for us. Uh, I'll just take this one as well, just quickly. Inter says, um, in that case, Harry, you don't rate Mbappe because he plays in France. Absolute nonsense. I judge Mbappe on what he does in the Champions League at the highest level against the best teams. Yes, I look at what he does in Ligue 1. But it doesn't mean that he would, if he moved to La Liga or to the Premier League, score as many goals and have it as easy as he does in France. You have to consider the league. It's not the be all and end all. And you can judge a player based on other factors too. But you can't dismiss the fact that Kylian Mbappe is playing in a weak league at the moment and needs to go to a bigger league in order to prove to everybody that he can do it at the highest level, week in, week out. Now, his Champions League performances have gone a long way in convincing people of that. But for me, if he wants to really fulfil his potential, he has to leave France. He does. OK, let's um, let's take a brief pause and then we're going to move on to discuss who is worthy of Arsenal's Player of the Month award for April. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Uh, just before we continue through the show, uh, I just want to bring you guys up to speed uh, with the latest prize on offer with our good friends over at Football Prizes. Now, as you know, 
uh, football prizes is a prize draw site in which you can enter by purchasing a ticket with your chance to win a lovely football-related prize. Uh, in our case, Arsenal-related prize. And up for grabs this time around is an Alexander Lacazette signed and framed Arsenal shirt, plus eight instant win chances for additional prizes. Now, the tickets cost £2.95. There are 199 of them available. And the competition ends on Monday, the 2nd of May at 7.30pm. There are five days remaining in this competition, but 106 of the 199 tickets have already been sold. So if you do want to get in on this, you better do it quickly. In terms of the uh, additional prizes that are up for grabs, there's a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed and custom-framed Arsenal shirt. A Liam Brady signed and framed Arsenal montage. Some Arsenal club shop vouchers and a football prizes uh, website credit as well. So there's lots that you can get your hands on if you wish to do so. But check out Football Prizes. We thank them for their very kind support of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. OK, um, Let's uh, let's move on then. Let's talk about Arsenal's Player of the Month for April. Now, Arsenal have put together a little bit of a blurb for each of the players in contention. And the nominees for the April Player of the Month award are uh, Granit Xhaka, Mohamed Elneny, Eddie Nketiah and Bukayo Saka. Let's take you through what the club have had to say um, uh, about the nominees. And then we'll have a discussion around who we believe uh, should, of course, be handed the award. Um, now, they talk about the resurgence of the team as a whole. And when discussing Mohamed Elneny, they talk about him returning to the starting eleven for the first time since December in our 4-2 win at Chelsea. They say our Egyptian put in a dominant display in midfield at Stamford Bridge before replicating his outstanding individual performance in our 3-1 victory over Manchester United at the Emirates. Moving on, they talk about Granit Xhaka, who they say has shown his versatility this month, having started our home defeat against Brighton in at left-back. Back in his more familiar central midfield position, the Swiss finished off the month with two standout performances against Chelsea and Manchester United, scoring a long-range rocket in the latter to make sure of all three points. Mukayo Saka is also in the running. Uh, he's played the full 90 minutes in all but one of our five matches in April. He showed nerves of steel in the win over Chelsea and Manchester United, scoring consecutive penalties and helping us to pick up six points from our last two matches. And finally, Eddie Nketiah is in the running too. Uh, he's a strong contender, the club say, having featured in all five of our matches in April. The young forward scored his first Premier League goals of the season in the win over Chelsea, firing home a brace on our way to collecting all three points before leading the line with real authority against Manchester United. So, who, for you, deserves to be named Arsenal's Player of the Month for April. I think I, I want to rule out Eddie Nketiah straight away because he was great at Chelsea, um, did OK against Manchester United, but that's just two games for me. So I want to take Eddie Nketiah out of there. He's the first one to go in in my process of elimination. I think Bukayo Saka has been excellent as well, and I think that he deserves to be in there. I think he deserves to be discussed. And I really enjoyed, um, as that piece said, him sort of putting his demons to bed with regards to the penalty miss at the Euros with England, how he's coped with that, how he's come back a better um, a better player. And, and I think he's turned into a man. I really do. I think over the course of this season, we've seen Saka develop from a, a young boy with lots of talent, lots of promise into a man who is capable of performing at the highest level week in, week out, and really taking games by the scruff of the neck, leading this team, showing bravery, showing self-confidence, which I think he was maybe missing a little bit earlier on in his career. I don't think he realised what a talent he was. Um, and now he seems to walk around the pitch with just a little bit more authority, and I really like that. So he's in the in the race for me, and he's one of the two options for me. Mohamed Elneny, I think, did brilliantly at Stamford Bridge and was excellent again against Manchester United. But on the basis of two games, I can't put him in there for me. Um, Honourable mention, for sure. I think he's really shored things up in the midfield alongside Granit Xhaka. And I think we've all seen that that's the best way, um, based on what's currently available to us, in order to cope with the absence 
of Thomas Partey, but not for me, not the player of the month for me. Um, I, I don't know that you can do that on two performances. The the guy for me that that is also up there with Bukayo Saka, and I'll come to share with you who I think should win it, is Granit Xhaka. I think he's put in two outstanding midfield performances just at the moment we needed him most. Um, and also, you got to think about how big that goal was that he scored at the weekend. That, that sort of clutch moment, Granit Xhaka pops up, makes something happen, and it's, you know, fantastic to see. So um, I think Granit Xhaka's up there with Bukayo Saka, and I think it's a, a shootout between the two. Now, when I looked on the website earlier, El Nenny was winning the race. But it's still early days, so I don't know that he's going to end up with the award, with the gong. But I just think when you, you know, and, and, and as I say, the club mentioned in there that Granit Xhaka played out of position at left back against Brighton. Now, that didn't really work out, but I don't think that was through a fault of his own. I think that he was put in a position where he was never going to succeed. Um, and um, and I think that, you know, it was, it was as... <sighs> It was both telling that he can't play at left back, but also telling how important he is to our midfield after that game. So I want to give it to Granit Xhaka. Um, he's not won the award before, which is astonishing because I think over the course of last season, he was probably our most consistent player and he didn't get a look in. And he never does get a look in because everybody's kind of got it in for him. There's that whole sort of thing still hanging over him that incident at Crystal Palace I thought it was incredibly brave of him to do that player's tribune piece in which I thought he spoke openly candidly I didn't agree with everything he said for example I didn't agree with the whole I don't care if I get cards thing I think that that's selfish I think that that is something that you know you can't be obsessed by you can't be afraid to make challenges you can't be afraid to compete from fear of picking up cards but you've got to be mindful of the environment that you're putting your teammates in when you do get yourself sent off or when you do get yourself into trouble. So that bit I didn't agree with, but I think overall it was a very brave decision. I think it was a decision that for the most part, um, a lot of Arsenal fans felt was a good one. There were people that came out and were very critical of him and said, I don't like it that he said this and I don't like that he said that. And, and I get that as well. You're always going to get that. You can't please everyone. But I thought overall the response to that interview was positive. And then he's followed it up with positive performances on the pitch. And that for me is, is the most important thing. And I want people to put to one side what they think of Granit Xhaka, the man, the footballer, the character, whatever. Just focus on the performances that he's put in and how key and how pivotal he is to this Arsenal midfield. Because when he's not there, my God, do we feel it. And I just think it will be really nice for him to get this award in sort of recognition of the fact that although what happened happened and although that his relationship with the fans, as he says himself, might never be 100%, we do appreciate what he does for the team. And if you don't appreciate what he does for the team, I'm sorry, but you don't know football. And, and that might sound arrogant. That might sound like me having a go or getting up on my high horse. And quite frankly, I don't care what it comes across like because that's genuinely how I feel. If you can't see the benefit that he brings to the midfield and you need to see the team without him repeatedly to understand what it is we're missing when he's not there, then you're missing the big picture. And I think that he has been very, very good for Arsenal for the best part of a couple of years. I would go as far as saying he's been Arsenal's best midfielder for the last couple of years. Now, yes, Thomas Partey, when he's at the top of his game, as he has been in the last couple of months, as he was in the last couple of months, just prior to that injury, barring the Crystal Palace game, then then Thomas Partey is the main man. But he hasn't been the main man since he arrived at Arsenal for the majority of his time. And I think that Granit Xhaka deserves a bit of recognition here. So I voted for Granit Xhaka and, um, and I think that he deserves it. You know, I, listen, that's not to take away from Bukayo Saka, who for me is, is neck and neck with him in this. I think they're both... I think they've both been brilliant. I think they've both been excellent. But I just think when you think about the whole narrative that normally follows Granit Xhaka around, I just think it would be so nice to just lift that by giving him the player of the month award, by voting for him and letting him take it. Saka will win it next month or the month after that. And he's won it plenty of times before. Now, I know that shouldn't have an impact on who gets it because it should be based on merit. But I do think as a, as a fan base, this could go some way. I mean, 
not just from our perspective, but imagine Granit Xhaka coming into work in the morning and knowing that the fan base voted for him. That would go some way in mending maybe how he feels um, towards the, the club's fans. And perhaps that will help in the long term to, to mend the relationship because Mikel Arteta clearly trusts him. Unai Emery trusted him before that, as did Arsene Wenger. And based on that interview that I referenced a little bit earlier, when it doesn't look to me like he's going anywhere. So perhaps we just better get used to it. Uh, the Onyx Lens says, Harry, my dude, has he apologised? Simply say sorry, Xhaka. That's it, bro. A heartfelt apology for your part and it's done. The fans that still hang on to that after that will never be convinced. Look, I get what you're saying, but why do we, like, if he does apologise, like, what difference does it make with regards to what he's given us on the pitch at the moment? I don't think it makes any difference. I think it's it's fans getting on their high horse and being, um, being, I, I, I think, thinking that they're owed something that they're, they're not. I mean, I was in the stadium when, when that incident happened. And I was in the stadium for the few games before. I was. I remember there was a, f a few nights before, or a week or so before, we played away to Sheffield United. Okay, and Granit Xhaka got shit from our own fans when he got substituted off. That whole thing was building up. And whilst I don't condone what he did, I can understand that someone can snap. And if he was on the receiving end of all the social media abuse that we've heard of, then I just think he was in a pressured situation and he snapped. I've snapped. I snapped this morning um, when my kid decided to shower me in coffee. I snapped. I lost my temper. I raised my voice. I got annoyed. It happens. It happens in everyday life all the time. And I didn't have 60,000 people standing up booing me off um, as I made my way off the pitch. So I just think I'm, I'm I don't know, I'm forgiving about it. I think that, um, I think that it's done its water under the bridge and I don't really see the sense in holding on to it um, forever. Gillespie Road says you're rating Xhaka over Saka and saying we don't know football. I didn't say that I rate him over um, Xhaka. I didn't say that. At what point did I say that I rate uh, Granite Xhaka more than Bukayo Saka? I didn't. I said that based on the last month, I think they're both neck and neck in terms of the contrib contribution they've made to the team. And I think that it would be nice for Granite Xhaka to get the award. It doesn't mean I think he's a better player than Bukayo Saka. So there's little clown emojis. Uh, you should probably put them at the end of your screen name instead um, of, uh, of throwing them at me. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Inter says, let's rip Aubameyang who loved the fans and be soft to a Swiss statue who told us to F off. <laughs> Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and I know for a fact, showed a disrespect to this football club and... Um, and and repeatedly broke rules that were put in place for everyone, specifically during a pandemic where everybody was being a lot more careful. Um, and and that was that. And and he's left the club. Why why are we still banging on about him? The reason I don't want the hostility towards Granite Xhaka, and I'm so against it, is because he still plays for us, and he's still so bloody important for us. Aubameyang's gone. You know, Aubameyang's gone. And this is a really, really, and, and this, this nonsense, um, he was booed because he threw the armband on the floor. No, he was booed before that even happened. And if you were in the stadium, you'd know that. Um, there was another really good comment that I just want to pick up. Um, here we go from Nikomo. Have the so-called fans who wished vile things on his family apologised? No, do you know why? Because the people that wish those things on his family are self-entitled idiots um, who who don't know that there's a line to cross and would never have the cojones to go up to Granite Xhaka and say it to his face. They're online, um, you know, trolls with nothing better to do. Um, and, and on that day, it was, um, it was people in the stadium as well. And that was really disappointing for me that that spilled over into that because... It just, you know, th there was a lot of frustration around Arsenal at that point, and I get that. But the fact that it boiled over into what it did, I, I was disappointed by it. I'm not going to lie. I remember looking around the stadium thinking, what the hell is this? Like, and call me what you want. I don't really care. Um, 
I, I really don't care what people think of me, but I just looked at that and I was in the stadium and I saw our own fans create that toxic atmosphere, kill a player, um, one of our own players. And, and it just, to me, was a moment where I was ashamed to say that this was my football. Honestly, I was. I was ashamed to see that our fans decided to cross a line with one of our own. Get on your blogs, get on your podcasts, get on whatever after the game and talk about Granit Xhaka and his shortcomings. Be constructive in it. Discuss why you don't think he's the right midfielder, why you don't think we can move forward with him in the heart of the team. That's fine. But to do what happened in that stadium, to turn on one of your own players, was borderline embarrassing. And um, and I don't really get why people condoning that. And I also don't get why people can't understand that that's what prompted his reaction. He didn't do that and then get booed. He, he booed. He reacted because he was getting booed. He reacted because um, he was being sort of targeted. And yeah, it's it's mad. Um, it's mad. And, and some bloke says people need a scapegoat to justify their own ina inadequacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, um, we're going to leave it there because we've been going for a while. Uh, lots of great chat. But my Arsenal Player of the Month for April is Granit Xhaka. As I say, Bukayo Saka right up there too as well. Uh, but I just think given Xhaka's situation, given that he's really stepped up when we've needed him um, of late and given the fact that um, he's never won the award before, I just think it would be nice uh, to for him to pick up that gong. And, and I think it would go a long way in mending that relationship. It's clear from the chat box that there's a lot of people... Um, who will never forgive Granit Xhaka, who have still got a chip on their shoulder, um, almost as though he'd slept with their wives or something, the way they're going on. But anyway, um, you know, and, and also just one final point on the Xhaka thing. I kind of respect that he hasn't flip-flopped on it. He could have easily written a, a little apology on, on, um, on Instagram or whatever. And then loads of these same people would be like, oh, well, he's apologised. It's fine. Um, but no, I, I respect the fact that he's real. I respect the fact that he's open, that he's honest and, um, and that he's, um, you know, he, he is his own man and he's not going to be bullied into apologizing for something when he doesn't feel that an apology is necessary. I think that the jury's out on whether it, there was an apology necessary. I think you could make that case and I don't dismiss that case. And I don't think that that's a, a nonsense point to have, um, but I, you know, it's so easy to forget that these are people and they have emotions too. And I've been on the receiving end of abuse, not anywhere near to the level of Granite Xhaka and lost my temper about it because it does get to you. It does bother you. It's completely unnecessary. It's always from online trolls that have nothing better to do in life. And it, so if I can lose it to someone doing it to me, um, at, on a much smaller scale and at a much smaller level, how can I then judge someone who lost it on one particular moment, on one particular afternoon, when it just spilled over? You know, as as Rancid Pumpkin, and I think this is a great comment to um, end with, you can criticise the footballer, but leave alone the player's personal life. Exactly. Exactly. I'm a family man, and I don't ever, um, I won't ever criticise someone for doing uh, for reacting to attacks on his family. So anyway, we're going to leave it there. Catch you all very, very soon with more. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with some more Arsenal and football related content. Until then, take care. Enjoy the European football and I'll catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.